Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands we record this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, as well as the Wanarua and the Gamilaroi people. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Six to three. That's an important ratio. It's the division between the nine justices sitting on the Supreme Court bench in the US who voted to uphold a Mississippi law that banned abortions over 15 weeks. The statute a calculated challenge to Roe v. Wade. The decision that would eventually overturn the legislation, leaving millions of American women without access to safe pregnancy terminations. Six to three. Out of a population of nearly 330 million people, it took just six of them, five men and one woman, to overturn the rights of millions. And by their own admission, they've only just begun. Today, we look at the decisions those nine people have made in recent times that have already started to undo the progress made by those who went before, why it's happening and to what end. Six to three. The echoes of the decision by six members of the Supreme Court of the United States to uphold a Mississippi ban on abortions over 15 weeks, essentially paving the way for the Roe v. Wade case to be overturned and blocking American women's access to safe and legal abortions under the Constitution, is long-reaching. There's discussion about the deaths this will be responsible for as states change their laws in response, how women may seek illegal terminations that aren't safe that they may take their own lives when there's no option for them, how they may die at the hands of a domestic violence perpetrator who doesn't want a pregnant partner. Some women may not be able to find a doctor who would treat an ectopic pregnancy until her fallopian tube ruptures and she's close enough to death to be saved over the fetus. Some women may not find a doctor to treat a pregnancy that is unviable and turns septic until she is so poisoned by her own body that she too is near death. If a doctor is found to be providing abortion services in some states, they may face penalties far greater than the penalty for a man who may have raped a woman and created that pregnancy in the first place. Women are being urged to delete period tracking apps, delete social media posts and reminders for birth control, lest they be used against them as evidence of a pregnancy termination and they be sent to jail. There is an expected spike in the crime rate, with studies following the legalisation of abortion in the 1970s showing a downturn in crime statistics of the 1990s. How not having to find the money to look after a child that no one planned for or wanted in a world that doesn't provide support during pregnancy or after the birth meant some weren't pushed to illegal measures to find the cash. There's discussion about how those who preach a right to life only think about that life in terms of a fetus, 
that the unborn, who in their eyes is pure and without sin, is worth supporting, but only until they emerge into the world and become one of those who will be judged for being poor or not white. There are stories of those who suffer other medical conditions who have been left unable to access certain medications because they could lead to a pregnancy becoming unviable if taken by a pregnant woman, medications like oral chemotherapy drugs. The decision to overturn this legislation comes despite the large majority of Americans supporting a woman's right to access an abortion. So how can the Supreme Court make choices that go against the majority will of the people? Well, this is not the only decision that has recently been made despite the will of the people. Six to three. That's the same outcome of the decision by the Supreme Court of the United States that last month also allowed an expansion of gun rights, finding Americans have the right to carry firearms in public for self-defence. That decision came just weeks after a man entered a school in Uvalde in Texas, killing 19 children and two teachers just one of many mass shooting incidents that plague the US on a daily basis. The law struck down a New York ruling that meant people had to demonstrate the reason they needed to carry a gun in order to get a licence to carry. Those six justices found that this violated the Second Amendment of the Constitution, the one that says Americans have a right to keep and bear arms. It will allow more people to legally carry guns in several states across the country. And at the same time, US Congress is actively working on gun legislation to toughen background checks on young firearms buyers, require sellers to conduct more background checks and increase penalties for gun traffickers. President Joe Biden said he was disappointed in the Supreme Court's decision. The gun laws in 40 of these states are still in place based on the decision. Not good enough, but it's, uh, I think it's a bad decision. I think it's and I think it's not reasoned accurately, but I'm disappointed. Six to three. That's how the Supreme Court voted when a high school football coach who would kneel on the field and pray after games was challenged for bringing religion into a space where it wasn't required or always welcomed. Opponents of the decision said it now opens up the door to more coercive prayer in public schools and further blurs the line between church and state. The decision came as the justices deliberated the freedom of speech of teachers in balance with young students who will feel pressured to participate in religious practices in a place that they are supposedly free of religious influence. However, the six said the prayers came after the game was finished and he was no longer responsible for those students, so he is free to kneel and pray on that high school football field. Six to three. The Conservative justices voted in favour of barring lawsuits against police who neglect to give those they arrest their Miranda rights before obtaining evidence against them. The Miranda warning, you know the one you see in movies all the time, the one that says you have the right to remain silent and so on, the justices sided with an LA County deputy sheriff who was accused by a hospital employee of having had his constitutional rights violated when Deputy Carlos Vega obtained a written confession from him before reading him his rights, after he was accused of sexually assaulting a patient. Six to three. That's starting to become quite a consistent division amongst these Supreme Court justices. But why? And what else could be threatened by this division? John Barron is a journalist and broadcaster who's written for publications including The Washington Post. He's hosted news and current affairs programs, Planet America, ABC Fact Check, The Drum, The Future Forum and The Party Reagan on ABC News 24. John, 
why do we keep seeing this division in the Supreme Court of six to three? What we're seeing in those numbers when, when that is the final vote is that that is the ideological split of the US Supreme Court. There are now currently six conservative justices and three moderate or progressive justices, which is interesting because technically, even though Supreme Court justices are political appointees appointed by the President of the United States and confirmed by the Senate of the United States, which traditionally involves a certain amount of bipartisan buy-in, they're not supposed to be ideological. They are supposed to judge each case on its merits constitutionally. It is a, a court that is there to interpret the constitutionality of any issue that reaches their bench. But uh, of course, ideology and uh, and ways of looking at the world, including how literally one should interpret that constitution, then that always comes into play. So we do see quite often these uh, pretty predictable political and ideological divisions. Now, something that has kind of been perplexing those who are watching this all unfold is that two of those six conservative judges, Amy Coney Barrett and Clarence Thomas, one of them is a woman, the other is an African-American man, and some of these decisions that have been made currently, especially Roe v. Wade, impacts those people that they seemingly would represent in the Supreme Court. What is it about these two judges in particular that allows their sort of conservatism to override the groups that they themselves belong to? There has long been held for, for 49 years opponents of that original 1973 Roe versus Wade Supreme Court ruling, which essentially said that no state could ban or unduly limit abortion prior to about 22, 23 weeks gestation because there was an implied constitutional right in the US Constitution, a right to privacy. And that privacy also included allowing for a woman and her doctor to make a decision about whether she wishes to carry a a pregnancy to term or not. So that has been the settled law. Now, those who take a very literal view of the Constitution and also those who, for ideological or, in the case of Amy Coney Barrett, a religious objection, being a devout conservative Catholic, they see that as being overreach. But yes, you're right. There are more women in the United States who support abortion rights than oppose it. African-American men, it's an interesting one. There is a fraught history, including the fact that there are some conservative, surprisingly very conservative African-American men who have taken the opinion that uh, abortion rights take away somehow from men's rights, men's rights to impregnate and have a family, for instance. They view other black men as not living up to their responsibilities to become fathers by encouraging their partners to have abortions and that it's an easy way out and that the end result is there are fewer black people than there should be. Now, on the other side of that is John G. Roberts, who was one of the six who voted in favour of the Mississippi abortion ban, but did not vote in favour to overturn Roe v Wade. So he did not align himself with those standard six judges who normally sit in that conservative pool. What is it about him that he was able to step out of that for this particular instance? It's interesting that he has now become, if not the ideological centre of the court, historically it often has one or two swing justices, centrists who are able to bridge the ideological divides and will side with one side or another. John Roberts is now filling that role, even though he is undoubtedly a conservative 
his conservative instincts are tempered by the fact that as Supreme Court Chief Justice, he doesn't believe that the Supreme Court should overreach, that it should become too activist. And in the United States, where you have this interesting triumvirate, the the founders built a system that was designed to have internal checks and balances. They have a powerful presidency, they have a powerful Congress, and they have a powerful court system, a judiciary. Three separate but equal branches of government, and they are designed to essentially keep tabs on each other. So it is a powerful minority opinion that is being expressed. This Supreme Court essentially represents the views of only about 30% of Americans. Well, that leads me to my next question, because Justice Thomas has said he has quite a list of things that he would like to address in the future, like Roe v. Wade, including same-sex marriage, even sexual relations between same-sex couples, contraception. Are these now at real risk? Are realistically these other things in the firing line now? There is no reason why you would confidently say they are safe. It was historic, if not unprecedented, for Roe v. Wade, a decision that had stood for almost half a century that was reaffirmed a number of times, including importantly in a 1992 decision called Casey. So all of which means that we have seen in this decision, the Dobbs versus Board of Health decision, that this case says we can take away a right. Now, that puts every other right in the firing line if Conservatives don't agree with that right. John, Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was on Stephen Colbert's show the other night and she said there is ways that they can change these laws or reverse these laws or reverse these decisions. This is how she said it would work. I believe that President Biden should entertain expansion of the Supreme Court. I believe that... I believe that he should forcefully come out in ending the filibuster of the United States Senate. Often Democrats talk about wanting to reform the filibuster. The filibuster is a rule whereby if you there are 100 senators in the United States Senate, you need 60 votes to end a debate in the Senate on any particular bill, issue or legislation. All of that means is that instead of just a 51-vote majority in the US Senate, you typically need a 60-40 majority in order to pass legislation. And that's very, very hard to do. The thinking is that if you abolish the filibuster for a range of court appointees, you could stack the court and expand it from nine members to 20 members and put in 11 left-wingers. And therefore, and that's what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is talking about, sort of having a supermajority of progressives to overrule the six conservatives that are on there now. Problem with that, of course, is that once you do that, there is nothing to stop the other side doing it as well when they're next in a position of power, which inevitably they will be at some point in two, four, six, eight years from now. So the logical outcome of that is that you end up with a Supreme Court with thousands of justices on it, <laughs> and and they're unable to uh, effectively perform their constitutional duty, interpreting the Constitution. So it gets crazy. The other side can do it, and whatever power you're taking now, you're handing to them next time, which is why Joe Biden and a lot of Democrat senators say we will not abolish the filibuster because it will be our only line of defence when we're back in the minority, and that could happen as soon as this November. The removal of human rights for those who are at the end of the line from the decisions being made by the Supreme Court has many making comparisons to another place where the rights of women and minority groups are being slowly eroded by those with the power to do so. Sarah Joseph is a professor of human rights law at Griffith University. 
Sarah, we've established that these decisions are being made on an ideological, moral and sometimes religious basis. Can we draw moral comparisons with what the Taliban are doing in Afghanistan to what the Supreme Court's doing to the US right now? I think that is probably an extreme comparison. I mean, I think that uh, the Supreme Court and a lot of the right-wing politics in America deserves a lot of extreme criticism at the moment, and there is no doubt that women's rights have been significantly rolled back. I mean, it is, you know, it is just astonishing to think that 50 years of abortion rights has been abolished with this decision from last week. But I think to compare them with the Taliban is probably going a bit far. I mean, the Taliban are refusing women the right to education, the Taliban murder a lot of people without any due process whatsoever. So I, I don't think that's a particularly fair comparison. But, you know, it's kind of getting you know steps along the way, if you like. These decisions are being made ideologically in the US, but they're also mm-hmm. upheld, obviously, because legally they have to show the way in which they've come to that decision. So the laws are set up in a way that they can be challenged on ideological grounds but still be upheld by the law itself. Is there actually a separation of like church and state in the US if it can bleed so innocently into each other? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, I am prepared to say, look, I don't, I do not believe that America has theocratic rule yet. I think, look, uh, I'm a lawyer, and we always agree with the rule of law and believe in legal method. And you're absolutely right that the judges of the Supreme Court they've overruled Roe v. Wade, but they've also given their reasons. They're not reasons I particularly agree with, but there is, I suppose, a level of accountability there, and there's also a dissent. And so the dissent is holding the two accountable. As well. But, you know, it's look, it's not only in America. I mean, there is no doubt that judges' personal opinions and personal ideologies can bleed into their judgments. I mean, I think we're seeing an extraordinary level of politicization and ideology within the US Supreme Court because we're getting, you know, fairly predictable splits of the conservatives on one side and the liberals on the other side. But, you know, there, there is a danger and people are very worried about, you know, what this Supreme Court might do next. Is there any other level of court that people in America, women in particular, can take these cases? Is there a human rights law that's being broken here that people can take it to a higher court? The highest court in the United States is the Supreme Court. And so there is no higher court in the US that anyone can go to. Abortion is basically now recognised as a right under international human rights law. All international human rights cases on the issue have been on the side of a right to choose rather than the other side. And the United States is party to some of the relevant treaties, but it doesn't actually allow for people to appeal at an international level. It doesn't allow for any of those processes. And even if it did. In America, international law can't override domestic law. And that's frankly the same in Australia. I mean, the highest legal authority in America is the Supreme Court. As the US faces a future without access to safe and legal terminations, and with same-sex marriage, contraception, even sexual relations between same-sex couples and interracial marriage on the potential chopping block, these fights, already hard won, may need to be fought all over again. It's a sad day for the court and for the country. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Tom Lyon.
big thanks to anyone listening who's become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. And of course, you'll be supporting our team of female journalists and producers. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes.